God wants you to have awesome, great, loving, growing relationships in the body of Christ. So the scripture we're going to look at this morning is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or in your YouVersion app, go to our website and you can find it there under media. So Colossians 3, 12 to 14. And as you're getting there, let me just give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background, right? Because you know the rule of context, right? Rule of context is context rules, right? It's a... So if you're going to understand a sentence, you need to understand how it fits in the whole paragraph. And if you're going to understand that paragraph, you need to understand how it fits in the whole uh, segment. And if you need, you're going to understand that section, you're going to need to understand how it fits in the whole book. So let me give you just a little context. In chapter 2, the chapter before the one we're going to look at, Paul tells them the reason that he's writing to them. He says in verse 2 that his goal was that they be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And so understand that Paul is saying here that one of the reasons he's writing to them is that they would be united in love. And he's preparing them for the rest of the letter, and he's going to show them some things about Jesus, and he's saying that if they're really going to fully understand Christ, if they're going to fully appreciate everything there is to understand about Christ, part of that is that they be united in love. And so as we come to chapter 3 now, Paul is now going to show them what it looks like to live for Jesus, and especially what it looks like to live for Jesus in context of being in the body of Christ. And so in the first few verses, he tells them they should set their hearts on things above and set their minds on things above and their hearts and minds on Christ. And then in verses 5 to 11, he tells them some things that they should stop doing. If you're going to really live for Jesus, here's some things you should stop doing. He says uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, filthy language, and lying. All those things, if you're going to live for Jesus, you should stop doing. And now we come to our text in verses 12 to 14. And so would you read this aloud with me uh, as we, just so we can get a sense for the entire passage? Then we'll come back and we'll unpack it together, okay? Here we go, Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. All right, so let's unpack this together, shall we? First, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's you, God's chosen people. He says you're holy and you're dearly loved. Now here, Paul's going to show us what living in the body of Christ should look like. He's going to show us the things that are necessary if we're going to have great, growing relationships in the body of Christ. Essentially, he's going to show us what he meant in chapter 2 when he said he was writing to them that they would be united in love. He's saying, this is how you do that. This is how you be united in love. And so, next he says, clothe yourselves with, and then stop there for a second. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with. The idea is, Put these things on. The same way you put on your shirt and your shoes and your pants and uh, maybe a tie if you're going to work and all of that, uh, uh, and, and you made your hair up. Um, the same way you do that so you can look presentable when you go outside to other people, 
So put these things on that, so that you can be presentable to God. He's going to give us seven qualities here that should characterize the body of Christ. Seven qualities that should characterize you as one of God's people who is uh, holy and dearly loved. And so these are things God should see you wearing when he looks at you. These are things that other Christians should see when they look at you. Now, each one of these could be an entire sermon in itself. Some of them could probably be an entire series. But this morning, we're just going to kind of look quickly at each one of these seven characteristics. Okay, so you ready? All right, here we go. The first one, if you're going to be united in Christ, if you're going to have great relationships, is you need compassion. Christians should be compassionate towards each other. Christians should be compassionate towards people. Um, sometimes this word is translated as mercy or pity. It has the idea of sympathy, and not just the idea of sympathy that just kind of feels bad. Oh, I just so, feel so bad for that. I hope they're going to be okay. It's the idea of the type of sympathy that is moved to take some action. Um, Compassion has the idea of helping someone who cannot help themselves or who is having a lot of difficulty helping themselves. The literal translation of this is bowels of mercy. I know some of you are probably thinking, bowels of mercy? What is that? Bowels of mercy. Well, the idea is this. In the Eastern world, the seat of the emotions was well, they call, the word bowels, meaning the gut. You know, in the Western world, it's the heart, right? We say heart. But in the Eastern world, and, and when you see... Um, especially in the Old Testament and sometimes the New Testament, translated as bowels, uh, well, as heart. The word was actually bowels, right? That was the seat of the emotions. And then uh, bowels of mercy, the idea, again, had compassion. So the idea is that Christians should be motivated by, from, from their gut, in, the, in their heart, a compassionate action for other people. The idea is that Christians have hearts full of mercy. And the cool thing is that the word here for mercy, it's in the plural, bowels of mercy. That, that Christians are characterized as people who show many mercies towards, towards other people. If we're going to have great relationships, we need to be people who are characterized by compassion. And then the second one is this. Second quality he says we should have if we're going to have great relationships is kindness. Now, kindness is similar to compassion, only without the necessarily uh, requiring the idea of being directed at those who are helpless. Kindness is something that you must give to everybody. Whether it looks like they need it or not, whether you think that they've earned it or deserved it or not. How many of you just love being kind to people who are kind to you? All right, how many of you love being kind to people who are not kind to you? That's a little bit harder, isn't it? But th the idea here is that we are kind to people whether or not they deserve it and, or we think they have earned it. Uh, Christians should be characterized by kindness. So Christians ought to be the kindest people in the workplace. Right? If they're known, if it's known in the workplace that you are a Christian, it should also be known that you are kind. If it's known that you're a Christian and you're also known as the meanest person there, can I tell you, there's something wrong. All right, now I know that sometimes in some jobs, there are times you have to deal with something, something straightforwardly, and uh, sometimes, you know, some things happen like that. You have to deal with something, maybe some unpleasant situations on occasion. I understand that, but notwithstanding, Christians should be known as the kindest people in the workplace. And then also Christians should be known as the kindest people in the marketplace. Right? So when you're at the kids game, right? You ought not to be that person who's shouting at the ref, "Are you blind? What is wrong with you?" And then turn to your neighbor and say, "Hey, listen, would you like to go to church with me?" <laughs> what is wrong with you? I ordered a diet coke, not a Hey, 
Can I tell you how much God loves you? In the marketplace, at, uh, at, at your kids' games, at their, at their rehearsals, at, at, at their performances, um, the Christian ought to be known as the kindest person in the marketplace. And then the church, the body of Christ, should be characterized by kindness. When an unbeliever comes to church, he ought to be thinking, hey, man, this is the kindest place that I have been all week long. The church ought to be the kindest place anyone goes to all week long. If we're going to grow in godly relationships, we need to grow in kindness. And then thirdly, the next thing he says, if we're going to grow in our relationships in the body of Christ, we need to put on humility. God wants his people to be humble. Now, show, show of hands, how many of you are humble? All right, I can see that. How many of you just lied to me? All right. The problem is no one raises their hand because humility is one of those elusive qualities that just when you think you have it, it's probably the time you don't. And when you think you don't have it, that's probably the time that, that you have it. So I think maybe one of the best ways to understand what humility is to, is to understand what it's not. So most of us understand that humility is not pride. It's not thinking that you're awesome. It's not thinking that, hey, you're, you're God's gift to the world. And uh, it's not thinking highly of yourself, you know, and like thinking, like, isn't everybody around me lucky to have me? Right? That's not humility. But sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that the opposite is true, that humility is thinking badly about yourself. That humility is thinking bad thoughts about yourself. Well, you know, I'm no good. You know, I'll never amount to anything. You know, I'm useless. I'm no good. I might as well not even try, you know, in ministry and in relationships. I'm just, I'm just no good. And, I'm thinking, and you're thinking badly about yourself. But it may surprise some of you that, to know that that's not really humility. That's pride also. Now, some of you are going like, oh, my goodness, what are you talking about? How can be thinking badly about yourself be pride? Well, it's because of this. Humility is not thinking badly about yourself. True humility is not thinking about yourself at all. Now, some of you, I, I, just, I just believe it's going to kind of revolutionize your thinking about humility here. Humility is just not thinking about yourself at all. Instead, it's thinking about the needs of Jesus instead of about thinking about your needs. It's thinking about the needs of the body of Christ before thinking about your needs. That's humility. So let me give you an example. When I was uh, in, in undergrad, I was at the Boston Conservatory of Music, and I was majoring in piano, and, and we had these things at the end of every semester called juries. That's when all the piano faculty would uh, get together. You would have to play what you'd been working on that semester for them, and they would give you a grade for how good you're doing. And so on that particular class, your applied music, you only had one shot of the grade. There were no, you know, midterm tests or anything like that. So there was a lot of pressure, uh, and you get all nervous because here you have the piano faculty, and they're all accomplished pianists, and, and so um, I get nervous. And, and usually I do, okay, God would help me through it. I get a B, a B plus. I think once I got an A minus, that was awesome. And, and so I get through that. But then all these piano faculty, they all had something called a studio recital. And that was when, okay, everyone who took lessons from that particular faculty would have to go to this recital and perform. And the scary part about that was that was open to the public. So now parents were there. Your, your, your peers were there. And that used to make me a mess. And I would approach that. I'd be get, I would get so nervous to where my fingers were starting to get, get stiff. And, play, and I would mess up badly. Now, I don't mean like, you know, you've ever heard someone say they messed up, and, but you couldn't even tell? Right? And you're going, oh, come on, because you, know, you, you couldn't even tell. No, not that type of mess up. I mean the type of mess up where you're grabbing your seat because it's really awkward. 
and you're pr praying, like, oh, dear Jesus, could you please make this over for them? Because it's so awkward, right? And uh, she said, you know what I'm talking about? She does. She knows what I'm talking about, right? She's been through it. That type of bad. And so after I finished with college here, I remember God called me into ministry, and I remember asking him, what do you want me to do now? And I said, and I felt strongly in my heart, not an audible voice, but really strongly in my heart, join the choir and let me take it from there. That's what God was saying to me. I said, okay. So I did. And as soon as I joined the choir, the choir director came to me and asked, would you uh, be willing to play these two songs for the choir? I said, sure, without thinking about it. And later on that week, I was praying, and I was praying. I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm praying about something else entirely, and God starts talking to me about this. And don't you love when God does that? Sometimes he just talks to you about stuff that you're not talking about, right? And I'm like, I want to talk about this. No, we're going to talk about this. And God just really strongly, by his spirit, said in my heart, said, you know, it would be really, out of the blue, I'm thinking about something else. He says, it would be really selfish and self-centered and prideful of you to be so worried about what everybody's thinking about you when you're playing that you would mess up while you're playing these songs. And I stopped. I'd never thought about it that way before. And I said, oh, my goodness, God, you're right. You know, as if sometimes he's not right, right? God, you're right. And, uh, and uh, it, it is prideful. I am thinking about what everybody else thinks about me. And, and I repented of that and, uh, and said, God, if you'll just help me here, I, just, I'm not going to think about that. I want to I change that. And, uh, and I prayed a prayer of repentance. And, and with that came God's grace. And I made it through. I didn't mess up on that because God enabled me to do that without worrying about what everyone was going to think about me. And ever since then, it's just a change that God made in me where, you know, I've never messed up because I'm uh, worried about what everybody's thinking about me. I just mess up because I'm human. All right? Uh, uh, but, but God did that work because it was pride or before. Uh, uh, humility is not thinking about yourselves at all. There's this beautiful passage in uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Humility is just not thinking about yourself at all. And if we're going to grow in our relationships, we must not think about ourselves, but we must be humble, putting God's needs, others' needs before our own needs. We must be humble. We must have compassion, kindness, humility. And then next, if we're going to grow in our relationships in the body of Christ, we must be gentle. We must put on gentleness. We must not be harsh with people, but be gentle. Sometimes this word is translated as meek. And, and some people sometimes have a problem with this idea because we think of meekness as weakness. And, and you know, someone's going to say, you know, Pastor Paul, you have to understand, on my job, I, I, can't, I can't be seen as weak. You know, I'm going to get run over and, and, and spit out and left on the side of the road if, I, if I'm weak. And so some people shy away from this because they think it's weakness. But can I help you this morning? Gentleness and meekness is not the same as weakness. I think maybe the best way to understand meekness and gentleness, gentleness is this. Power under control to advance God's purposes. Power under control to advance God's purposes. See how this worked in Jesus' life, right? Jesus, the Bible says that he was meek and gentle, yet there was nothing weak about him at all. He commanded demons. He cured every sickness. He walked on water. He commanded the weather and then obeyed him. And he had at his disposal more than 12 legions of angels to do his bidding. He was as strong and as powerful as any being could be, yet he was also gentle. His power was under control for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Be gentle. 
be under control for the advancement of God's kingdom. And then next, if we're going to grow in our relationships, we must also be patient. We must put on patience, wear patience. How many of you love this one? This is your favorite one. How many of you pray for patience? If I ever do, I always say, God, I'm not asking for a test. I'm just asking for a little help, all right? You remember things that um, we used to get patient about, uh, impatient about all the time? Uh, how about this one? Waiting in line at the DMV. Or maybe this one. Waiting at the doctor's office, right? I had to do this just past uh, this Friday. I went into the, uh, to the MedExpress, and they said, well, we only have one person on staff today, so it's probably going to be an hour. Okay. Um, or how about this one? Waiting online for customer service. Those things, they still try our patience today, right? However, it seems like today impatience has gone into overdrive. How many of you have been in the office uh, break room and someone's in front of the microwave going, hurry, in front of the microwave? <coughs> I've seen people get impatient and upset because someone is texting them in complete sentences. I'm not kidding. Someone getting upset about these complete sentence texts. And uh, you know what? And the crazy thing is they took more time complaining about it than it took them to read the one or two complete sentences. And then I was getting impatient because they're wasting my time getting all upset about the complete sentence text. You know, and uh, so now I'm being tried. Impatience. Sometimes if you don't get a text back immediately, right? Impatience. You know what? Want to know what tries Jill's patience? Like when we're at the restaurant, and I got to go through the whole menu and read everything on it, and then ask like 20 questions for the waitress, and she knows the whole time that I'm just going to order a bacon cheeseburger anyway, right? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, she's really grown in that, because when, when, when she was younger, I mean, that used to like, she'd get really frustrated and impatient, but now that she's 29, um, she's really grown in that, impatient. God wants us to have patience with each other. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians, be patient, bearing with one another in love. In Romans, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. In Thessalonians, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So if you feel like someone should be stronger by now or more mature or, or, or maybe you're going around the same mountain with them for the third time and you just want to give them a dope slap, God says be patient. Why? Because God is patient with you. And Peter said, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The fact is, God has been patient with you. And there are probably things you can think of that God has gone around the, the, the mountain with you, five and 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 times, right? Before you finally responded and, and said, oh, yes, God, I see that now. Right? I, I, you need to do that in my life. God is patient with us. And he hasn't dope slapped you yet, right? And so we should be patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And the next thing we need to put on, that we need to wear, that we need to express if we're going to have great relationships in the body of Christ is forgiveness. Now, I want you to notice something here. In this passage, Paul devotes just a little bit more space uh, to forgiveness than to all the other uh, characteristics. Uh, in the first five, Paul just uses one word. Put on compassion, put on humility, put on gentleness. But with forgiveness, he gives some explanation. Read it with me. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, why the explanation? Why not just say, 
clothe yourselves with forgiveness and, and be done with that. And I think it's because Paul knows that this may be the hardest one of all. Sometimes it can be hard to forgive. I mean, think about it. Anytime you have to forgive someone, that means somebody has done something wrong to you. And then there's those times when someone's done something wrong to you, but they're, they're not willing to admit it or to confess it, right? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, because if someone does something wrong and they come back to you and they say, you know what, I'm sorry I did that, or I'm sorry about that, um, I was insensitive, I shouldn't have said that, or I was, uh, you know, I was just wrong uh, and I apologize for it, well, then it's kind of easy to forgive, right? It should be. I hope it is for you. If someone confesses something like that, that is easy for you uh, to forgive. But what about those times when someone just does something and someone has used you or abused you or taken advantage of you and they're not uh, willing to admit it? You know, they really just don't care. You know, those types of occasions are when it's often uh, difficult to forgive. It can be really hard to forgive. And so what does Paul say to do when someone who's in your family or someone in the body of Christ wrongs you this way? Uh, what do you do when someone that you're supposed to have a relationship with wrongs you? Well, he says two things in this passage. First, he says, bear with one another and forgive. Put up with one another. Put up with people's failings. There are some things, some character flaws that God just wants you to put up with. I don't know, some of you are saying, you mean, Pastor Paul, you mean that if I see some character flaws or imperfections in other Christians, I'm just supposed to put up with it? Well, yeah. God says, bear with one another. Put up with one another. And not only that, he's saying, um, I put up with you. And he wants other Christians to put up with you. Right? You have character flaws. You have things that aren't made perfect yet, right? And so here's the thing I'm driving at. None of us looks exactly like Jesus yet, right? I mean, which one of us here would dare to say, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm just about done. I look just like Jesus now, and he's, he's done his work on me. I'm just waiting to go to glory. The truth is, if, if you look hard enough at your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will see some things that don't look like Jesus. And if everybody looks hard enough at you, we will see some things that don't yet look exactly like Jesus, right? And that's why he says, to bear with one another, put up with one another, and forgive the character flaws that you think you see, all right? And uh, he says, put up with these things. Bear with one another. Someone, but someone might say, well, what if it's just not a character flaw? What if it's something, you know, someone really wronged me? I've got a grievance against someone because they, they really just wronged me. Well, he goes on to say this. If any of you has a grievance against someone, right? Someone has done you wrong. There's a grievance there. If anyone has a grievance against someone, take them to court and sue the shirt off their back. What? What are you laughing for? Isn't that what your Bible says? No? Okay, let me check it again. If any of you has a grievance against someone, make sure everybody hears about it on Facebook. <laughs> right? Isn't that what your Bible says? Your Bible doesn't say that? What translation are you reading? Check that one more time. If any of you has a grievance against someone, wall them off and put up a barrier. Is that what the Bible says? No, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I love this because he doesn't just say forgive and leave it at that. He goes a little further and gives us a little help, a little bit of perspective. He says forgive how? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He reminds us that we were in need of 
forgiveness. You are not an innocent person. You are a forgiven person. If someone has wronged you, it really helps to look at the cross again for a minute and remember that Jesus was there because you needed his forgiveness. Someone says, Pastor Paul, you just don't understand. Someone did something so wrong, and they just won't admit it. How can I forgive if they won't confess it? Well, look at Paul's admonition again. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Under what conditions was it that Jesus went to the cross for you? Was it before you confessed sin or after? Jesus went to the cross for us before we ever confessed anything. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus acted with love and forgiveness before we confessed anything. And if we're going to have great relationships in the body of Christ, we need to live in forgiveness. And the last thing that we need to put on, that we need to wear if we're going to have great relationships in the body of Christ, is love. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one because I know I just spent two weeks preaching about loving God and loving each other. But let's just extract just a couple thoughts from this verse that's in front of us. He says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So now pay close attention to the language here. Over all these virtues, put on love. After everything else is on, after you've clothed yourselves with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility, patience and forgiveness, then put on love. And something special happens when you add these to all the others. It ties them together. It unifies them. Love completes all of the others. Now, I, let me describe it this way. All right, ladies, imagine for a minute that you're going out for some special night, right? And you're getting dressed for this special occasion. And, and everything has to look just right. right. You've got your special top. You've got your matching uh, pants or skirt or whatever. And uh, your, your perfect shoes that just match great. And, uh, and your hair comes out great. And your makeup is perfect. And then you need just that, that, that one last thing uh, to, to make it perfect, that perfect accessory that just ties the entire outfit together, right? Well, love is kind of like that. You've already put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, and forgiveness, and you put on love, and all the other ones, they just look that much better. It makes all the other ones make sense, ties them all together in perfect unity. Now, some of you guys are wondering, Pastor Paul, what are you talking about, right? And uh, some of you are wondering, how do you know that, right? Because, and, and the reason is, you know, I've... I've lived in a house full of girls for over two decades now. And you, and you learn some things. I mean, my wife's a girl, my daughter's a girl, even the dog's a girl. <laughs> you learn some things. And, uh, so men, let me say it this way for you. Um, it's kind of like this. Imagine you've got this awesome, souped-up sports car. Maybe it looks like that. All right, how many of you want to drive that? All right, yeah, I know. Some of the ladies do too. All right, that's fine. And, uh, you know, you've got the mag wheels, the sunroof, the spoiler, the paint job is beautiful. It's got a powerful engine that just uh, growls with a sound that makes your heart just beat, right, uh, when, when you hear it. And you just need one more thing. If you're going to experience this uh, sports car the way it's intended to be experienced, you need one more thing. You need some high-octane fuel, right, so you can get that baby out on the road. Well, love is kind of like that. You've, you've already got compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, and forgiveness. And, and all of that looks great, right? It looks awesome. But when you add love to all of that, it's like putting high-octane fuel into the church. It makes it go. It's what makes it work like it's supposed to work. 
When you have a church that's outfitted with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility and patience and forgiveness, then you feel it with love. Can I say, watch out, baby, because you've got a church that's going to look like something at the Daytona 500 going in the community of Lancaster. Love makes it go. It binds all the others together in perfect unity. So as we get ready to uh, conclude, uh, I want you to think again about barriers. We open talking about barriers. And I want you to notice that of all these qualities, all of them either break down, either break down barriers or they cross barriers. Patience crosses, uh, breaks down barriers. Humility and forgiveness break down barriers. Compassion and kindness and gentleness cross barriers. Love both crosses barriers and breaks down barriers. So as we move into our response time this morning, I want to ask if you just kind of ask yourself just a couple of questions. And the first is this. Do I have any existing barriers that have been erected in my life that are hindering some relationship that God wants me to have? Do I have a relationship that's being hindered by unforgiveness or is there a barrier in some relationship that needs to be broken down by expressing some humility? Or is there some relationship barrier that needs to be broken through expressing some patience? And the second question I want you to ask is this. Are there some barriers that I simply need to cross over? Is there someone that God wants me to express compassion towards? Is there someone or a group of someone who God wants me to express kindness and gentleness towards? So what I'd like you to ask you to do is just bow your heads where you are, and I want to spend 60 seconds here, just kind of in silence, letting God speak to our hearts, letting him by his spirit reveal something. It's amazing when you just get quiet and say, God, speak to me, the things that he can speak to us by his spirit. So let's just take